Support for Veterans Corner on Veterans Corner Radio is made possible by M&M Printing and the Observer News of Ruskin. Hello and welcome to Veterans Corner Radio Podcasts, information for and about veterans. For this podcast, host Bill Hodges talks with military black historian Dr. Isaac Hampton. February is Black History Month. Veterans Corner Radio would like to take the time to honor those black men and women who have served this nation by shedding their blood and even giving up their lives. Dr. Hampton shares how, in the 1950s, there was a growth in the officer corps. Here now is Bill Hodges with Veterans Corner Radio on Veterans Corner Radio Podcasts. Welcome to Veterans Corner, a show dedicated to providing information to all those who have served our country's military and to their families. Now, here is your host, newspaper columnist, management trainer, and Air Force veteran, Bill Hodges. Hi, I am Bill Hodges, and this is Veterans Corner Radio. And we have a very special show for you today. This happens to be Black History Month, and generally, This is not a show where we talk about, here's what I did in Vietnam, or here's what I did in World War II. We talk benefits, but this is a special time. And I do have with me an expert on black history as it applies to the U.S. Army and to the military in general. I have with me Dr. Isaac Hampton, and he's a military historian. Uh, Dr. Hampton, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Bill. I really appreciate you having me on. I understand that maybe today we'll talk basically about the 50s, maybe 60s, and the development of the Black Officer Corps and integration of the services. Yes, sir. So with that, I'll turn it over to you. (laughs) Okay, well, just a little bit about my research and how I get to uh, some of these answers is that I focus a lot on oral history and the power of oral history interviews where the the actors, those who actually um, lived through the history and and made it, I reach out to the, to our, our veterans where they can kind of tell their own story. And a previous guest that you had on, Miss Monica Monarenda, I want to say that she was on back in July. I just want to give her a plug because for that episode, she really emphasized the importance of oral history, Uh, but but particularly when it comes to African-Americans and oral history, we find that often there's been a hole in the research and the literature because when we look at veterans from the 50s, 60s, at Vietnam era, even the 70s, they haven't been interviewed to, to the degree that they that, in my opinion, history should have reached out to them. Because African-Americans have had a very, very unique experience where really um, you can say that they were fighting on three fronts. And when I say that, they were fighting one against the uh, public policy oppression system, one against America's enemies, and the other one trying to establish themselves uh, as far as having opportunities within the American military. So well, let me let me just start with quickly just 
talk about integration really quickly. So we know that Executive Order 9981, which was signed in 1948 by President Truman, again, that's really a major shift, a major public policy shift where we see the civilian sector with this executive order pushing to bring more equality in the ranks to to desegregate. Now, that being said, the real push and pull factor was the Korean War. And when we see that there there were needed manpower manpower, uh, assets in that conflict, this is where we really begin to see desegregation take place. Really, after Truman's executive order was passed, the military really didn't do much desegregation. Yes, there were some programs in place by the Air Force and Navy, uh, namely, but we really don't see a a true integration of the force. And uh, it's that forcing function of the manpower needs of the Korean War that really create integration. And even with that being said, we can get into the mid-1950s before we have National Guard units that are uh, that are desegregated. And so when we look at as far as key legislature that took place, the next case we look at, and I should say, well, the first case we look at is going to be Brown versus the Board of Education in 1954. This is a cause for the desegregation of, of schools. Now, during that case, we see that a lot of the attorneys for the NAACP, they would look back. And one of the arguments that they made was Executive Order 9981 and the success and progress that had been made with the military, with the integration from 1948 up to 1954 during the period of the Korean War. So this is a, a, an example of where we see public policy. Uh, in this case, I know it's an executive order, but when we see that Supreme Court legislature, again, they look at how the military has made progress and how it has managed integration up to that point. Because remember, look, up to this point, uh, we see that the country is still under separate but equal, which was the Plessy versus Ferguson case back in 18. 18- 96. So remember, segregation was a law of the land. And we see that in this country, we're countries of laws and rules. And we see that not only do we have Jim Crow laws with de jure types of, of racial Southern etiquette, again, particularly in the South, we also have the Supreme Court ruling that calls for separate but equal. And again, that was the law of the land. You know, it's interesting. I, I look back, I, I served in that, I actually went in in 1959. So I and I did go into the United States Air Force, and at that point, as far as our troops were concerned, there wasn't any semblance of segregation, at least from what I could see or what I felt. Mm-hmm. And it, we had some black officers. Granted, most of them butter bars, so they were they were brand new. But the troops, wise, I mean, the people in my squadron pretty much were treated the same way we were. And that wasn't well, but not too bad for the Air Force. It, it's amazing to me the amount of shift there was from the World War II and all of a sudden into the 50s, how things had changed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let me share a few statistics with you. So now, 1950, again, we're, we're five years after uh, the end of the Second World War. So when we look at the numbers, again, from 1950 to 1970 and the ratios 
for um, the different branch, branches, black to white officer ratios. So for the Army, we were looking at one to 26. For the Air Force, one to 60. And one to 300 from the Marine Corps and the Navy, because, you know, both I know they're separate branches, but the officer corps are, you know, they're, they're, they're almost together. So, again, that that gives you an idea of how much that has changed. I mean, that that ratio is still is still vast. Now, by 1970, again, the same year, the total number of African African-American officers across America's entire armed forces was 8,402, and that includes 887 warrant officers. So roughly blacks comprise of about 2.2% of the entire officer corps, which numbered uh, a little less than 400,000, approximately right around 390,000. Percentage-wise, how did mm -hmm. that work out as far as the number of, of uh, black uh, soldiers, airmen, sailors? That were in the military. Okay. Well, those now the exact numbers again were coming out of uh, again this is squarely uh, towards the the Vietnamization period uh, of the war. Uh, again, so for the army, again we're giving uh, approximate numbers. Again, we have over over a million man army at that stage. The the exact numbers of African Americans is probably it, it's going to be. It's going to be more than 10 percent, but the black officer corps during the Vietnam War was never more than 5,000 in the Army, in the Army. Wow. Okay. We've got about four minutes left, and, and it, <laughs> we're encapsulating a lot of history in a short period of time. What are the changes? Uh, what are we seeing that's making the military stronger by helping make sure that it is diversified? Well, we know that, particularly, we know there's there's a lot of DEI, uh, there is a DEI initiative. Now, let me let me just take this back to the military. We do have, what we, we do have a DOMI, uh, the Defense uh, Equal Opportunity Institute that's located at Patrick Air Force Base in uh, Cocoa Beach, Melbourne, Florida. So that that largely is, a, is kind of a school or institution that, that teaches uh, about race, uh, gender, equality, this sort of thing. Because re remember, Bill, that the military is a microcosm of society. Everything we have on the outside, we're going to have on the inside. It's just going to be in, in, in smaller numbers. So again, all the things that the military has to, the military has to deal with, I should say, are the same things that are happening in the civilian world. It's just that in the military, we have UCMJ, and with the Uniform Military Code of Justice, again, that can control one's physical behavior. Okay, it may not control your thinking, but it can certainly control uh, one's physical nature and in making those behave, dealing with with people of different different races and gender. And the, the biggest thing now, uh, well, one of the biggest things in the military is that you know now it's it, it's it's more of a gender type of focus uh, more than race. Race still plays a role. It always will in this country. But again, uh, we we see that, uh, at least in the Army, we have right around close to 20% uh, of enlisted soldiers. But uh, when we look at the officer corps, it's somewhere approximately around 10% uh, 
And that being said, uh, we know the African-American population is probably right around 13 to 15 percent approximately. So uh, the numbers are definitely getting better compared to where we're at in the in the in the 50s and 60s that Vietnam era. But um, again, there's still work to do. Always work to do. I, 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 Dr. Martin Luther King, who we celebrate with the January date, made the point. It's a matter of character. I, I think the most stupid thing one can do is to separate people by color. I mean, that just makes absolutely no sense to me. No, I, I concur 100%, sir. Dr. Hampton, we've got just about a minute to go. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience before we shut down? Uh, yes, I guess I would like to a couple book recommendations for those who want to do some more research. A, a bit dated, but I'd like to recommend uh, Bernard Nolte's book, Strength for the Fight. Again, it, it's been around for more than 20 years, but that's kind of a good overall book of African-American history uh, when it comes to the military. Um, the other book is going to be Richard Dalfume, D-A-L-F-I-U-M-E, Richard Dalfume's book, Desegregation of the U.S. Armed Forces Fighting on Two Fronts, 1939 to 1935. And this is not a shameless plug, but uh, the last book I put out, which was called The Black Officer Corps, uh, that looks at uh, inequalities in promotion and the creation of the Black Officer Corps uh, from inception up through the Vietnam era. And so, again, um, that book's about a little while. But again, just for further research, I always encourage people to do their own research and, and help come up with some of their own conclusions. And that, that, that makes for a more informed audience. You know, I, reading your biography gave me a lot of confidence in what you'd have to say. But strangely enough, some little words add a lot. And one of them was, this book isn't a new book. It's an old one. Old books get to be old books because they're good books. People, I was in the seminar business, people would ask me all the time, well, what about this swimming with the sharks or whatever? And I'd say, tell me two years from now, three years from now, is it still on the bookshelf? And I'll tell you whether it was a good book or not. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So never apologize for recommending an old book. What you're saying is, I found one that's gold. Yes. And because it's gold, it's still there. Dr. Hampton, thank you for coming on the program. And we wish everyone a very good and profitable and growing Black History Month. This is Bill Hodges. You've been listening to Veterans Corner Radio. You're unique, you're special, and you're great. Tell yourself so often because you are, you know. And we'll catch you again very soon on Veterans Corner Radio. You've been listening to Veterans Corner with your host, Air Force veteran Bill Hodges. The views expressed on this program are those of Bill and his guests and are opinions based on the best available information. In matters of law or governmental regulation, it will always be best to check with the appropriate agency. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us for the next Veterans Corner. Before we go, here's a quick final thought. Why not take a minute to follow or mark Veterans Corner Radio podcasts as a favorite? It's easy, and you'll be among the first to be notified when new episodes of the podcast are released. And thanks for listening to Veterans Corner Radio Podcasts.